Hello and welcome to Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church located in Fremont, California. It is our prayer that today's broadcast will be a blessing to you. Let us prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. Turn to Mark chapter 8. Gospel of Mark chapter 8. I want to uh, continue in the series that we are working with on crucial questions that Jesus asked. Chapter 8, verse 1. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way. Because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where In this remote place, can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present and having sent them away, He got into the boat with his disciples and went to the regions of Dalmatha. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Father, grant to us your wisdom, insight, anointing, and whatever you want to do with us today. We invite you to use this moment to accomplish your purpose. In the powerful name of Christ, we pray. And everybody said amen. Since we have been studying these last several weeks, crucial questions that Jesus asked, I've entitled the message today, What You Got? Because in this text, that's the question that Jesus really asked. What you got? When you read this text today, you you can't help but feel a sense of, haven't we been here before? Because it was just a few chapters ago that we read about Jesus feeding 5,000 people. And if you sense that this would sounds a bit familiar, you would be right. 
you'd be absolutely right. Chapter 6 is the verses or where the verses are that roll out this similar story. But it would be a mistake to assume that the two stories are just one. Even though they are close together, there are two different times in which Jesus does this feeding. There are some scholars that will tell you that the apostles got it wrong and that it was just one feeding and the story got twisted over time. But when you really analyze the two stories, it's not possible for it to be one. And I'll tell you why. In Mark chapter 6, there are 5,000 people who are fed, and they're mostly Jews. In Mark chapter 8, there are 4,000 people who are fed, and they're mostly Gentiles. With Jesus in Mark 6, they were with him one day. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, they've been with me for three days. The place in which the first feeding took place was in Galilee. In Mark 8, the second feeding took place in the Decapolis. In Mark chapter 6, there were five loaves and two fish. In Mark chapter 8, there were seven loaves and a few fish. In Mark chapter 6, at the end, there were 12 baskets left over. In Mark chapter 8, there are seven baskets left over. And so Jesus did this feeding twice. Once for Jews and once for Gentiles. In our text today, you, you can't help but wonder why the disciples would be so perplexed, even this second time, about feeding the crowd. Especially when Jesus had already fed a larger crowd before. It would seem if he fed a larger crowd the first time, why would you have difficulty figuring out how he's going to feed a smaller crowd the second time? But like us, like us, like us, like us, they are prone to forget. Why is it so easy for us to forget? Why is it so easy for us to remember bad things that happened to us 40 years ago and can't remember the blessing God gave us last week? What is it about us that just forgets what God does to us? Well, Mark describes the setting of this story as being a remote place, a desert. It's interesting to me how often the Bible refers to the desert. Both literally and symbolically, there is constant reference in the scriptures to a desert. Desert is a place of testing. It reveals the desert as a place of barrenness, a place of dryness, a place of loneliness, a place that is dangerous, 
where we wander and where we feel like we've been deprived of a blessing. The cool thing about the desert is that God was and is always waiting for his people in the desert. It seems as though it's uh, uh, that God never allows one of his folks to go alone in the desert. But he walks with them to the desert, stands with them while they are in the desert. God shows himself and his power most often in the desert situations of our lives. It can be a place of incredible revelation, both of ourselves and of God. The desert can be that place that we see ourselves in a new and different way. Sometimes we see things about ourselves while we're in the desert that we never even knew was in our hearts and lives. And yet in the desert is also the place where God reveals who he is and what he can do in our lives. And once God is seen and worshipped more often than not, the most incredible and wonderful blessings come to our lives just because we've been in the desert. Food has been provided in the desert. Water has been found in the desert. Battles have been won in the desert. People have been healed in the desert. Hearts and eyes have been opened in the desert. All kinds of incredible things happen in the desert. And here's another really cool thing about the desert. In the darkest moments in the desert, literally in the middle of the night, the desert seems to come to life. Animals start moving around in the desert. Things begin to blossom, begin to bloom in the desert. The moon sends a comforting glow in the middle of the night when the desert and when we're in the desert the the oppressive heat is replaced with a chilling breeze in the middle of the night of the desert. good things happen in the desert so if you feel like you're in the middle of a desert today a dry thorny forsaken place be assured of this god is there God is there in that dark, dry, thorny place. God is there. And as if it seems very dark and and bleak, take a deep breath and know that all around you in that darkness is divine life. God has promised that he would never leave or forsake those who belong to him, even if they're in the desert. And if you're one of those, in one of those desert spaces right now, take heart that Jesus is just as much there with you as he was with the 4,000 in today's text. Amen. Amen. Now notice this. It is Jesus who takes the initiative in today's story. 
to address the needs of the crowd. It is Jesus who summons the disciples and according to verse 2 says, I have compassion for these people. There are two things closely intertwined in this story as you read it. The compassion of Jesus and the challenge of Jesus. Over and over again throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus moved with compassion for people. All of the Gospels, when they talk about Jesus and people, they talk about being moved with compassion. It's amazing how he's so attentive, so considerate of people's needs. He never forgets the details of life. My wife's the only one, maybe you do too, but she's the only one I know that goes to the mall and prays for a parking place. She believes that the Lord will give her a parking place close up where she doesn't have to walk very far. And I tell her, no, the Lord wants you to walk. He can give you a parking place up here. And she'll keep driving until she gets one up close. And then she'll say, thank you, Lord, for this parking place. Jesus, Jesus looked at that crowd that had been with him for three days and remembers they've got to walk home. You talk about detail. He remembers these people have to walk home. You would think that he whose task it was to bring the splendor and majesty of divine truth and and the glory and the love of God to men who would think of big things, glorious things, that his mind would be thinking of the grand redemptive program. Thinks about the details. These people got to walk home. Jesus is like that, you see. He, 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 when he's confronted with a lost soul and a tired body, his, his first instinct is to respond to help in details. It's all too true that the first instinct of many people is not to help. It is human to want to avoid the trouble of giving help. It is divine to be moved with compassion and pity that when God is at work, we are compelled to help. But this story is not only about the compassion of Jesus, but there is also the challenge of Jesus. When Jesus had pity on the crowd and he wished to give them something to eat, the disciples immediately pointed out the problem. Immediately, they began to say, we are in a remote place. This is a desert. There are no malls near here. There's no supermarkets near here. Where in the world are we going to find food for all these people? People out here in the desert. They began to zero in on the problem. But Jesus would not be denied. He responded to their response with today's question. What you got? 
what you got. Reminds me of the guy I work with in uh, Chicago. I go there to counsel once a month. Counsel? Consult. That's the word I wanted. I go there to consult once a month. But he has this phrase that he uses with his staff. He says, don't bring me a monkey without a banana. And what he said is, just don't bring me a problem without bringing me an idea as what to do about the problem. The disciples turn to Jesus and identify the problem. And Jesus' response to their identity of the problem was, what you got? Hungry people motivates Jesus. And he wants hungry people to motivate us as well. I don't know how many of you got a chance to watch any of the Democratic National Convention this week. But I I took some time and, and watched some of them. And I was touched by the faces of the people. When the camera would scan the audience And it wouldn't just kind of scan over the top of people, but it'd zero in on the faces of people. Some of the people were crying. Some of them looked so sad and beat up. But their faces revealed so much to me. Their faces said to me, these are hungry people. Hungry. One of the brothers came up to me after the 8 o'clock service and he said, Pastor, did you watch any of the Republican convention? I said, a little bit. He said, they're hungry people too. And I said, you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter what political party. That's not the point. The point is people are hungry. I contend that all the things we see happening in our world today are symptoms of hungry people. I want you to think about that for a minute. I contend that the mess that we see in our society and around the world are nothing but symptoms of hungry people. People don't shoot cops because they hate blue. People shoot cops because they are hungry. That gentleman down in Dallas was hungry. The man in San Diego was hungry. They are hungry people. People are hungry for respect. They are hungry for significance. They are hungry for joy. They're hungry for security. They're hungry for peace and purpose and passion and growth and connection. People are hungry. People are hungry to matter. And when they don't matter, the rest of us are in trouble. Once Jesus called the attention of his disciples to the hunger of the crowd. He flashed today's question. What you got? What you got? What do you have 
that can help these hungry people. You see, compassion became challenge. I see the problem, what you got. In effect, Jesus was saying, don't try to push the responsibility of helping these hungry folks to someone else. What you got? Question is, what you got? Don't say that you would help if you only some only had something to give, if you only had more time, if you only had more knowledge, if you only had more know-how, if the circumstances were a little better, if they weren't so impossible. The question is, will you take what you do have and do something with it? What you got. One of the most joyous of all the Jewish feasts is the Feast of Purim. It falls on the 14th of March. It's, it commemorates the, the deliverance that Israel got that's written about in the book of Esther. It's the time of giving gifts. And one of its regulations is that no matter how poor a man is, he must seek out someone poorer and give that person a gift. Jesus has no time for the spirit which waits until all the circumstances are perfect before it thinks of helping. Jesus says, if you see someone in trouble, help him. With what you have. What you got. You never know what giving what you have can do. Instead of being depressed by what you see on television about the pain of our world. How about rising up and doing something with what you got? Jesus isn't asking us to give what we don't have. He simply, he is simply asking us, look again and see what we do have and then do something good with what you've got and then he'll take it from there. So let's, 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 let's take a look at what you got. When I, when I look at what people who are hungry, are hungry for, I I wonder if you might have any of these things that you might be able to give to them. I started writing down what's behind some of the behavior of people. And I I came up with about 15, 16 things and I kind of squeezed it down to 10. And I want to say... I'm going to share these 10 with you. And if, if I say one of them and you have that, I, I want you to stand up. If I, if I say one and as you hear it, you're saying, I got that. I want you to stand up. As I move beyond that one and I'm moving on to another, If you got that while you're standing, I want you to raise your hand. And as I continue through the 10, if you got another one, I want you to raise your other hand. 
So I want to see what we got in this room by standing and raising our hands. If as I go through the ten, you have none of those, you just sit there and look at me like I'm out of my mind. That'll be okay. But I would suspect that you got what hungry people need. So let me begin. Can you give a person respect? Can you give support? Man, I only got, I only went to two. Can you listen and give attention? Can you encourage? Can you project a positive attitude and reject negativity? Got any more hands? Can you care? Can you smile? That's a good one. Let's use a leg. Can you give understanding? Can you speak a kind word? Can you give hope? Look around this room. Look at so many of us say, this is what we got. When we talk about changing the world, we're not talking about changing the world. We're talking about changing the world in which you function in. Your circle. If 200 of us change our world, just think of that added together, the impact that has on hungry people. You can sit down now. I'm not finished yet. <laughs> the disciples thought they had nothing that they could use to meet the needs of 4,000. Jesus took what they had. Jesus took those loaves that they had. He thanked God for it. He, he, he blessed it. And then he used it to nourish, sustain, and bless 4,000 plus people. Did they all become followers of Jesus? No. Did they all embrace him as their Lord and Savior? No. But they knew that they mattered to God. They knew somebody cared. They knew God was good. They got a glimpse of the kingdom of God at work. They got to go home wondering whether, where'd that food come from? And is it possible that what that preacher was saying may have some merit? Simply because Jesus took what they had and used it. To address me. When we give to folks what we got. God is then able to speak. 
to their lives and draw them a little bit closer to him. Like the couple from the church called Grace Church in Lexington, Massachusetts. This church went out distributing bread to a low-income housing complex. And this couple came to an apartment where they heard arguing through the door. And they wondered whether they should even knock on the door when that much heat was taking place within those, those four walls. But they decided to knock anyway. And the man opened the door and he opened it with such venom and anger. What do you want? And the couple said, we don't want anything. We just wondered if you knew anyone who could use some loaves of bread. And he said, why are you doing that? And they said, well, we just wanted to let people know that God loved them. And we thought if we just gave them some bread, that that would be an indication that somebody cares about them. And what the man said rather anxiously, you're just handing out loaves of bread because you want people to know that God loves them? And they just stared at him. And he said, I can't believe this. Then he took the bread, closed the door, and said to his wife, here we are, fussing at each other, because our three-week-old son died yesterday. And we were questioning whether God cared about us, and these people have come by, knocking on our door, offering us a loaf of bread. Is that not God saying to us that he cares? You never know with what you got, what the impact of that will be on a life. You have no idea of what God will do with that little that you have and give for his cause. Amen. Now, the miracle of this text wasn't just to feed the people. The miracle of this text wasn't because Jesus was just concerned about the crowd. But the miracle of this text is that Jesus was also concerned about his disciples. You could say, did Jesus really need the disciples to feed 4,000 people? And you'd have to conclude, no, he didn't need them. He didn't need what they had. He's God. He could have fed those folks without them. But he chose to include them. Because he wanted to impact their lives as well. Jesus performed this miracle. And asked the twelve. In fact, there was a basket for each one of them. Because he wanted them to be individually involved. He gives to each of them something to give to the crowd because he wants to soften their hearts so that they will begin to see people 
the way he sees people. He wanted to increase their faith so they could learn to trust him even in the most unreasonable circumstances. If you're there and Jesus feeds 4,000 people in front of you, what does that say to you about your faith? You know, sometimes I'm convinced that we don't know what we have. We don't realize the Jesus that we have, what he can do with and through our lives. So he wanted to increase their faith. A basket for each one. Involvement for each one. Because there they would learn to grow. And so my final thought is this. When you give what you got, it won't do as much as you think. But when Jesus gets it, it'll do more than you think. Amen. That smile that you gave to that person who you saw was burning with anger. You may think that that smile did nothing. But the Lord can take that smile. And he can soften the pain in that person's life. That demonstration of respect that you showed toward that man or that woman. You may think it was nothing. But it's everything. Harry Cox and I was over visiting the chaplain at the, at the jail a couple weeks ago. And we were sitting in his office and we were talking about the pain of the inmates. And he said to us this, everything in this jail evolves around respect. Everything evolves around respect. The brothers who are shooting policemen, you think they feel respected? The brother who shoots another brother, you think he feels respected? See, when people don't feel respect, they do all kinds of things. When they don't feel self-esteem, they do all kinds of things. We have the capacity to convey upon another person respect that can change their behavior. And you put that in the hands of Jesus. And who can tell what Jesus will do? And so my question today is, what do you got? What do you got? When you look at the news and you say, oh, God, this world's going to hell. What do you got? And God's given to each of us an opportunity to show that. Our Father, we ask in your name that you would seize this moment to grip, soften, change our hearts. That we might change our world. 
Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this installment of Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church, located at 47385 Warm Springs Boulevard, Fremont, California. We can be found on the web at www.sobcc.org. We'd like to take a moment to invite you to come and join us in person for one of our dynamic Sunday morning worship services. Services begin at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. each Sunday, and we would be so blessed to have you come worship with us. We'd also love to hear from you a word about how this ministry is helping you renew your mind for the glory of Jesus Christ. So please contact us, and we pray God's blessings over you the rest of this day. God bless.